0: Thank you very much. Every moment matters when it comes to an emergency situation. One minute you're driving along with your loved ones in the car. The next you're in an accident and somebody's bleeding a lot. What do you do? This is a question that the people over at MyMedic know all too well. The company was founded after a family member died in a car crash. And because none of the bystanders had first aid kits you know, or even basic first aid training, they died. So, they decided they were going to make a difference. My Medic has revolutionized first aid by creating a line of kits with innovative products. You can treat everything from a scrape on the knee to a gunshot wound, and I actually mean that. This is not your typical first aid kit. Go to mymedic.com/back and save 20% on their life-saving first aid kits. Today. Each pro kit includes life-saving training. Uh, you know, you show up someplace, do you have the equipment? Do you know how to save your child's life? Mymedic.com slash beck. Get yours today. My medic.com slash beck. to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment this is the glenn Beck program hello america you know i usually am you know the little black rain cloud uh and i bring you some news you're like okay don't think i wanted to know that but thanks now i do know it so i won't sleep for a week Um, I wanted to bring on uh, somebody that disagrees with me. uh, And I have to tell you, he makes a compelling case. I don't know if he's right or not. I don't think he is, but I'm open because I want to believe him. Uh, He is a a geopolitical strategist. He's uh, written the book, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. I know that doesn't sound happy, but actually... He's not a little black rain crawler. I mean, compared to me, this guy's sunshine and lollipops. So, uh, I want you to uh, I want you to stick around for a few minutes. We're going to talk about China and what's coming because there are profound changes. But he's got a, a much better attitude and maybe some facts that others leave out that we should pay attention to. His name is uh, Peter Zine, and he's joining us in 60 seconds. Cybercrime is on the rise. Here's some things that uh, won't protect you against cybercriminals. Voodoo dolls, a sticky note left on your computer monitor saying, please don't hack me. A decoy computer uh, sitting in your uh, yard someplace that doesn't fool anybody. Chinese spy balloons, they're, I mean, they're everywhere it seems now. Here's one thing that will help protect you against cybercriminals. It's a little thing called LifeLock. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting all of our lives. We do everything online, and internet safety is not something you should ignore or cut from the budget. So get 25% off a subscription to LifeLock. It's the top of the line in cybersecurity with both preventative measures to keep you safe and access to a restoration team if you do end up having your information hacked into. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock is there to protect what's yours. It's LifeLock by Norton. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Make sure you use the promo code BEC to save 25% off now at LifeLock.com or 1-800-LIFELOCK. Peter Zine, uh, the author of The End of the World, is just the beginning. Hello, Peter. How are you? You know,
1: I don't think I've ever been introduced as Mr. Rainbows and Sunshine. I kind of like <laughs> <love> that.
0: <laughs> well, you've never been on this show where uh, we, don't, we don't tend to have a, an optimistic uh, look at what's coming our way. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was listening to you. I think it was on the Rogan show, and I was listening to you. And uh, you actually made me feel better. And uh, I just like you to, I just like you to tell us your view of what's coming, uh, the end of globalization, but also the um, uh, the end of China, because you say that's imminent.
1: Well, that's a whole whole batch of things to to push together into a small chunk, But let me do my best. So, there's two things that have dominated and created our world. Uh, Step one is in 1945, the Americans found themselves facing down Stalin in Europe and were like, oh, we do not want to tangle with this guy alone. We need allies to stand between us and the Soviet forces. But World War II had been the most destructive conflict in human history. And the only allies were countries that had barely survived it. So we needed to provide something to induce them to not cut a separate deal with the Soviets. And we came up with globalization. Before globalization, everyone was kind of left to their own in terms of development. And if you had iron ore and coal and food and oil, you could industrialize. But if you didn't have all those things, you were probably a colony. Well, with globalization, you now only needed one and you could trade for the others. And so we all started to develop and industrialize and urbanize together together. After 75 years, that has brought us the global system we now know, with global finance and global energy and global supply chains and global infrastructure and global agriculture. And so we have a population of 9 billion people, 8 billion people, excuse me, living more wealthy than any other period in human history. Correct. With small countries and big countries all in the milieu together. But as we've made that transition, we've changed the way we live pre-industrialization we all lived on subsistence farms Mm -hmm. but as these new industrial jobs became available we took them and they were all in the cities well in the countryside kids are free labor you have as many as you can and then maybe one more because that's how you know you've had too many (laughs) you move into town you live in a condo and kids are just sources of migraines so you have one or two maybe 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 three you play that forward for 75 years And it's not that we're running out of children globally. That happened 30 years ago. It's that we're now running out of working-aged adults. Also, the Americans created globalization as a security ploy. Cold War ended 30 years ago. We're out of that business. So the the security underpinnings that allow trade to happen are mostly gone. And the consumption that is done by young people is almost gone. And this was always going to be the decade that both of these trends broke at the same time. Now China specifically is the perfect manifestation of what sort of glory demographic change and globalized security can bring to a country because for the first time in their history they weren't preyed upon by the outsiders, they were able to consolidate internally and they were able to use their large population to create an economies of scale, to take advantage of the global environment. That had never happened to them before. You fast forward that to today, however, and the Americans have lost interest in maintaining the trade, we're turning a little bit more nationalist on the Chinese specifically, and their demographic transition was the fastest in human history. And according to the newest data we have, not only did they overcount their population by about 100 million people, They now have more people in their 60s than their 50s and their 40s and their 30s and their 20s. And so we are looking at abject demographic collapse in the Chinese space this decade. And that assumes that none of the Chinese dependencies on the American Navy to import and export become a problem. So we're really looking at a simultaneous crisis here in China that is demographic, that is political, that is cultural, that is agricultural, that is in trade, that is in finance all at the same time. And there is no way they walk away from this.
0: So you believe that I mean what what is all the positioning now with the you know the balloons and the tough talk? What what's what's happening there with President Z, because on the surface he looks, you know, rock solid in control. Um, you know, the I think you would say to the average person, you know, who is the next leader of the world, and they'd all say China. But you're saying the opposite. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to think of China 20 years from now, kind of like we think of um, the Soviet Union today. You know, it had a good run and then it just imploded. Uh, let's see what's the best way to put this. Uh, Chairman G. <clears throat> Ruling China is a difficult task. There's a lot of different geographies. It doesn't hold together well. Yes, China, using air quotes here on China, has existed in some form for 3,000 years, but it's only been unified in roughly the shape we recognize today for a total of 300 of those years. Half of that's under the Mongol occupation. And the remainder, most of that is under the American-led globalized system, where we basically said colonization is no longer kosher. <clears throat> excuse me. me, get some water here. <clears throat> anyway, the only way that you can kind of rule the space is to purge the system of competing political and economic influences. Correct. And Xi started that process 10 years ago and more or less completed the purge of the political system five years ago. But then he spent the last five years purging the bureaucracy of any potential power centers that could challenge him. And in doing so, he's gotten rid of everyone in the country that is competent. So now it is just him. And in many ways, he's kind of become what Donald Trump always wanted to be. He's got the adoration from people below the zealot, and he's got the voices in his head, and that's how he rules. And there's absolutely nothing in between. Uh, And that means we're seeing policy collapses across the entire system. And the balloon situation is a good example. So under COVID, the Chinese were carrying out this very hateful foreign policy that they kind of called Wolf Warrior, which is basically China is right, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're going to die, and China's going to take over everything. So when you hear people saying that they think China's going to dominate, that's, that's Wolf Warrior diplomacy kind of working behind the scenes not a lot behind it, but it it, it riles people up. Well, it led to some of the greatest foreign policy disasters in China's history. So the Biden administration has killed the Chinese semiconductor sector. They are dependent upon the Russians for energy, but the Russian energy cannot be produced over the long term by the Russians. So they know there's an energy crisis in their future. They're experiencing an outbreak of something called African swine fever, which is endangering their food supplies. Their financial system is basically a really, really badly run Enron or subprime at scale. And so they they see all of these pressures and G knows that the gig is almost up. And so starting about two to three months ago, he started forcing the bureaucracy because he has to have one-on-one conversations anymore. You can't just say stuff and make it happen because all the competent people are gone. He started tilting things towards a more productive or at least less hostile direction. And as a result, Secretary Blinken was about to go to China. Well, <clears throat> when you don't have a functional bureaucracy, when you don't have functional communication within your own government, all it takes is one dude who thinks he's doing the great leader's will to to throw things off. And we now know from our communications with the Chinese that Xi didn't know about the balloon. And the foreign ministry didn't know about the balloon. And it looks like hardly anyone in the military knew about the balloon. That means it was just some dumbass in the intelligence services who thought that this is what was necessary, and so slapped it together and sent it off. And it led to a complete diplomatic meltdown with the United States, you know, and even if you're of the belief that Biden is ultimately looking for a way to live and live with the Chinese, events like this at a minimum are going to push back the date where we can even think about that for three to six months. And to be perfectly blunt, China doesn't have a lot of time.
0: All right, which leads me to uh, another, uh, another question, and let me get to that in 60 seconds. Hang on. Dolores wrote in about her experience with Relief Factor. Uh, I started taking Relief Factor not long ago, and so far it has completely stopped the arthritis pain in my hands. They were so bad it was getting impossible to do any of my sewing or anything. Not anymore. Thank you, Relief Factor. Dolores, thanks for writing in and giving Relief Factor a try. If you or somebody you love is dealing with actual pain, please try Relief Factor. It's not a drug. It was developed by doctors, so it not being a drug, it's not going to whack you out. It has four natural key ingredients that work with your body to fight inflammation, which causes most of our pain and most of our problems. So please give it a shot. Just try it for three weeks. That's all they ask. Try it for three weeks. If you don't see any results after taking it as directed, um in three weeks you're probably not going to but 70 percent of the people who try the three-week quick start go on to order more month after month dial 1-800-4-RELIEF 800 the number four relief or go to relieffactor.com that's relieffactor.com feel the difference 10 seconds station id <laughs> Okay, so you say um, that China doesn't have an awful lot of time, uh, doesn't have, you know, six months to wait. If your theory is correct, what stops them from being even more dangerous right now?
1: Well, one of the things to keep in mind, well, I think it's great to
0: compare what's going on in the Russian space to
1: what's going on in the Chinese space. So from the Russian point of view, their population is dying out as well for a mix of reasons, some of which overlap. And they feel that if they don't militarily act to get what they see as a more defensible perimeter now, that they will not have the military capacity to try it five, 10 years down the line and the right. Uh, so there is a scenario where if Russia wins this war and a couple wars beyond it, they actually are in a better position strategically. China doesn't have anything like that. There is no country or series of countries within reach that they could conquer. There is no war they could launch that would help. Uh, This is a country that, unlike Russia, is based on the import of raw materials and the export of finished goods. This is a country that imports almost all of the technology it needs and many of the intermediate parts. Really, Really, it's best to think of China not as a manufacturing center, but as an assembly center. And I don't say that to denigrate them. It's just it's a different sort of economic model. And that means you have to have different support structures internationally in order to make it work. And for China, it's all about the movement and its movement they can't control. The US Navy may only have half as many ships as the Chinese, but our fleet is fully blue water. Only 10% of the Chinese fleet in combat operations could sail more than 400 miles from the coast. That's not enough to support a global mercantile empire. We do that for them as part of globalization. So even if they were to capture Taiwan without firing a shot, it really wouldn't solve anything because they import 75% of their energy and 80% of the materials that allow them to grow their own food. So in any war scenario, you put a couple of destroyers in the Indian ocean basin, doesn't matter who you are and you've destroyed the Chinese system. It'll die within six to 12 months and you'll, you'll trigger a famine that will ultimately kill hundreds of millions of people. That would be the end. And the Chinese know that. Now, That doesn't mean it's risk-free. That doesn't mean I'm belittling what you're suggesting here. There is a chance that it could happen, even though I don't think it's a very high one. If the Chinese admit to themselves that they're facing demographic, economic, agriculture, and trade crises all at once that will tear their system down, and I think they do realize that, then there's something to be said for picking the time and the place of a war, even if you know you're going to lose because it lets you write the narrative, even if it's one of national failure. And if you're facing a deindustrialization collapse, that might, might allow the CCP to persist as a political ruler of the system into whatever's next. And so if you can guarantee your personal power for the low, low cost of three to 500 million dead Chinese from famine, that might be worth the cost so make no mistake this is not a war of
0: expansion so uh, i I kind of feel like what everything you're saying about you know china could be said about us as well i i feel you know you you talk about the deglobalization but that is the opposite of where you know build back better and all of that stuff is going there are these globalists that are still trying to cobble into a even a bigger system you know of the west against the east uh that i don't i mean they're not going down to the little local communities and saying hey let's all make sure that we're solid uh as local communities i'm
1: really not worried about the united states so number one we have the best demography in the advanced world and a better demography than most of the developing world at current rates of aging, we will be younger on average than the Mexicans, the Indians, the Indonesians, and the Brazilians at some point in the early 2050s. We became younger on average than the Chinese over a decade ago. Uh, in addition, the United States created global trade. And one of the conditions in order to induce countries to join our security network was that we wouldn't take advantage of that. So as a percent of GDP, we are the least involved with the major economies in the world. And most of our economic integration is with Mexico and Canada. That's like almost half of our total. So if you factor that out as a percent of GDP, our total exposure to the entire world is less than 10% of GDP. And a big chunk of that has to do with the shale revolution and energy exports. Take that out, you slim it down even more. Our weakness, And also, we're the world's largest producer of oil and the world's largest producer and exporter of foodstuffs. Our biggest weakness is an electronics manufacturer. And if China were to disappear tomorrow, yeah, that's going to be a pain in the ass. We're going to have to rebuild that from scratch. We're going to have to double the size of the industrial plant over the course of the next five years. And you think we have an inflation problem now. Just wait till we lose access to Chinese goods and we have to build out our own system. But... That will generate the fastest economic growth in the history of our country. And when it is done, we will have more reliable partners closer to home with shorter supply chains that use less energy and use workers that are local and sell to consumers that are local. This is a good story. Okay, so. uh, And all we have to do. Is build up ourselves to make it happen.
0: All right, I've only got a couple of uh, a couple of minutes left, and I just want to make sure that I push back a bit. There are sure. several critics of yours that say, you know, you've been saying this since two thousand five that they were going to collapse, okay. et cetera, et cetera. How would you answer that?
1: The hardest part of geopolitics, especially demography, is timing. Yeah, uh, one of the problems with deogra- ge- or, uh, words. One of the problems with demography is this has never happened before. We've never had global aging. What I've described for China is an extreme case, but it's happening everywhere. So N equals zero historically for points of comparison. Right. The reason why this is the decade that I think it's really going to go down is this is the decade where not just China, but a lot of other countries literally age into mass retirement. And, and this and there is are pretty no much, longer enough people under 30
0: to even theoretically repopulate. This is pretty much what happened to Japan, right? I mean, in the 80s, everybody thought Japan was going to take over the world. And then all of a sudden, just Japan just... Fell off the map
1: Absolutely Part of that was a debt issue Which the Chinese had right. Actually a bigger debt issue Part of it is demographic But the, the two big differences Between the Japanese And the Chinese Japan saw this coming 30 years ago And took steps To boost their birth rate And relocate industrial plant To better locations okay. Like the United States They're as prepared As they can be right. China's done none of that
0: Peter, thank you so much For being on with us It's um, uh, Peter Zine His book is The End of the World is Just the Beginning. More in a minute. The Glenn Beck Program. I want to tell you about a guy I know named Micah. He's your neighbor down the street. You know, a friendly, helpful guy that uh, you keep meaning to get to know a little bit better, but you're busy. He's busy. He's an Army veteran, solid family guy, three beautiful kids. Uh, And... When uh, Micah found out that their school was teaching graphic LGBTQ plus curriculum, um, he was not one to sit back. And so he and several like-minded friends ran for school board positions and they won enough spots to overturn the curriculum. Another tiny detail about Micah is he is a real estate agent and he works with our company, Real Estate Agents I Trust, He's a stand-up guy who stood up to the woke mob infecting our schools. He's busy just like you. He is just like you. But when it comes to helping you buy or sell a home, he's a pro. These are the kind of people that you'll find at realestateagentsitrust.com. The people that are just like you, except they're experts at buying and selling your home. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, a free service to you. Get your referral now at realestateagentsitrust.com. And go to blazetv.com slash Glenn. You use the promo code Glenn, you'll save. We are talking to uh, the geopolitical strategist. He has uh, worked with uh, Stratford, Uh, etc he is uh, he consults major companies and uh, countries he's the author of a book the end of the world is just the beginning his name is peter zine and he says that china is uh, a long-term paper tiger that we don't have to worry about short-term correct me if i'm I'm, i get any of this wrong here peter but short-term they could get ugly but long-term they're they're nothing to worry about correct i'm far more concerned about the consequences of the chinese
1: collapse than any sort of war okay
0: so let's just tie this into you know the global uh, market and and the way globalization has worked you change any of this stuff and you're in trouble yeah peter do you think I mean, when you look back at the globalization as an experiment if you would Do you look at it as mostly a success, mostly
1: a failure? Or can you not even really describe it with those terms? I think from most points of view, it's been a success. So from the American point of view, it was a security program to prevent war in Europe and a nuclear exchange. And in that it created the greatest alliance in history. And that is why even the Germans today are, you know, shockingly with the program on the Russians. Uh, from an economic point of view, we expanded the population to 8 billion people, and it's the wealthiest the world has ever been, the safest the world has ever been, the most healthy the world has ever been. Mm. So I don't mean to suggest it's all been good, but it has been a really good run, historically speaking.
0: And now it's just not working because of the COVID breakdown, or it's just not useful anymore?
1: COVID definitely sped up the decline, but from the American point of view, you use the right word, it's no longer useful. We created globalization in order to build an alliance to fight the Soviets and the Soviets are gone. And even with the Russians kind of having this moment, uh, all of these security deals that the Biden administration is striking with everyone around the world are just that, they're security. There's no economic side to it. We are not interested in the United States economically, strategically or politically in a Bretton Woods 2.0, it's just not happening. Uh, But most importantly, that demographic aging that industrialization and urbanization created has now passed the point of no return so that this specific economic model is on its last legs independent of what we might think politically. We're going to have to come up with something new, and that means countries with better geographies and better demographic structures are going to have their day, and the United States is at the very top of that very short list.
0: All right, so how would you describe then the... You know, the Great Reset or the World Economic Forum or the, you know, UN Agenda 2030, all of this stuff that is is forging even stronger alliances with international banking and and everything else. Uh, well, I, let me give you three things. Number one, in the United States,
1: our political system is going through its once a generation reshuffling where the factions that make up the parties move around and the business community was kicked out of the Republican coalition by Donald Trump. So they are kind of in the wilderness. So any sort of international finance or business connections that we may have had at one point are no longer within the political decision-making apparatus. So there is not really a lobbying group within the United States for globalization in general. Uh, Second, Anything that involves the United Nations that is not the Security Council is incapable of pushing the agenda forward at all because it doesn't have the political support of the countries that matter. So I would put that to the side completely. And then third, the World Economic Forum crowd. I think it's most useful to think of Klaus Schwab as a DJ who throws a really big party once a year that everyone wants to go to. And it's nothing more than that. Yes, they've got their seminars, but mostly this is rich people doing the equivalent
0: of body shots. <laughs> oh, Peter, I couldn't disagree with you more on, on a lot of that, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm um, sorry, it's
1: just, it, no policy is coming from this. And, and the countries that have the ability to go it their own way, places like the United States or Japan or France, just don't swim in that pond. So you're talking about a well, our president group did use who don't actually have economic
0: power. The the president did use, and so did Japan, so did France, so did uh, England. They all use the World Economic Forum structure and even their slogan "Build Back Better" uh, in 2020. And a lot of that stuff has has been passed and has passed through uh, our financial sector through ESG. But I don't want to get bogged down in, into this. We just disagree. Um, Peter, um, the the thing that is going to, what do we have to do to keep our communities uh, going from the impact of all of this?
1: That is something that requires policy shifts, not at the global or even the national level, but mostly at the local. And And for this, the United States is really set, well set up. Uh, one of the major things about globalization was it created a economic and security structure globally that allowed countries that, historically speaking, hadn't been able to play the game to play the game because no longer did they have to worry about defending themselves or their trade routes. And they could access a world full of markets and resources uh, as if they had won World War II. For most of the world, it was great. But if you had a good geography to begin with, that put you at a severe disadvantage because all of a sudden there was all this indirectly subsidized competition. That competition is now going away. And a lot of the global industrial build out that we have seen over the last 75 years, which gave birth to some of the political movements that you've just identified, that is breaking down, Mm -hmm. leaving it to the places that are more functional geographically and demographically to do really well. And so for the United States, not only is that most of our territory, we are also a federalized system where the localities and the state governments have just as much power as the federal government. So state governments and localities who are willing to put their eyes on the future are already taking steps to change the regulatory structure, to build out infrastructure, to attract new residents, and to get pieces of these industrial supply chains that are looking for a new home. And places like uh, Texas have been extraordinarily successful in that, but it's not like it's just limited to the, the lone star state. I would say overall, the American South probably has the best set of policy for attracting some of this money and getting scared investors, whether it's from Germany or Korea or whatnot, to set up assembly and manufacturing plants across their territory. Uh, Even California is getting in on the act a little bit, if you can imagine it. Once you get out of the big coastal cities and kind of go into the next range of cities that are like on the edge of the LA basin. You've got population centers that used to be bedroom communities that are remaking themselves to participate in some of these systems, particularly in aerospace. So this this isn't just a good story, it's dozens of good stories right. embedded in the way Americans prefer to be governed.
0: And this is a, a, the part that I really enjoyed hearing from you that, I mean, I, I think there is all over the world, Uh, just like President Z, people in power know that that power is going to be challenged because everything that provided them power and money and everything else is breaking apart. And so they are tightening the screws as hard as hard as they can on people to try to uh, control them. I think the people are waking up all around the world knowing wait that none of the stuff that you're doing is making any kind of common sense. We, we We need to take care of ourselves here in our own communities, our own farmers, et etc, et etc um and you know if if that happens the, then I think we make it and we make it in uh, in with flying colors as America usually does um the, how bad is the transition? could the transition get here and when does that when does that when does the average American understand that's all over globalization well I-
1: I'd argue that the transition started several years ago. Uh, We had eight years of Barack Obama where we basically didn't have a president and we had no foreign policy, we had no economic policy, and that sort of um, abdication of responsibility really accelerated the breakup of globalization because it does require a functioning American system in order to keep all the pieces working. Then we had four years of Donald Trump, and to the degree that Donald Trump – involved himself with governing, it was usually to to take a mallet to things. And he really didn't like globalization in the first place. Now we've got Biden who is going through Trump's old tweets and turning them into formal policies. And so it's (laughs) crazy that Biden and Trump are the two most similar presidents we've ever had on issues of international economic policy. And we're basically taking Trump's instincts on things like China and trade and building them into the bureaucracy so deeply that it doesn't matter who the next president is. So if you are on the right, I don't think you're gonna admit to yourself that this old system is broken and is not coming back until we get to the next president. Uh, If you're on the left, I think there's an understanding that we have passed the Rubicon. The only reason I say on the right it might take a little bit longer is no one wants to be perceived as giving Biden the credit for it, even if it did start a president before him. Biden is the one who's really nailing this down. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, you, uh, you mean as, uh, as killing it? It's a final nail in the coffin. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Yeah,
1: basically Donald Trump provided the intellectual scaffolding to build the nails, and Biden is the one using them
0: yeah maybe for uh, uh maybe for opposite reasons but uh the globalization part honestly, is when
1: we're talking about the breakdown of the global system i'm yeah. not sure the rationale really matters
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i agree with you i agree i agree um peter thank you very much i appreciate it god bless no problem uh the end of the world is just the beginning uh geopolitical strategist peter uh zine now reason why I wanted to have him on is because I'm not afraid of other people's opinions, especially when they disagree with me. I hope I'm wrong. Now, he's not sunshine and lollipops if you're just listening to him. But if you compare him to what I say is coming you know that's uh that's good you brought him on as the sunshine and lollipop guy and then he was talking about three or four hundred million people starving to death in china well uh went went down a negative road pretty quickly um but at least it's not we're not bombing each other for you know hundreds of of uh, thousands of dollars this is the biden approach like slightly better than the worst it's ever been that's his campaign slogan yeah (laughs) right and by the way it was also us when it was the worst it's ever been but we're slightly better right now so elect me so here's so here's Here's the thing. Uh, I, I disagree with a lot of the stuff that he said. Um, but I think, you know, he may have just blinders on when it comes to why would Z try to consolidate his power and get rid of everybody? If I mean, it's going to happen to the whole world. That's my case on the World Economic Forum and uh, our individual leaders of our individual Western countries. They know what's coming quick Get the animals in the barn and lock the door. That's what I believe is, is happening. Now, when it comes to China, I believe they are, we are in a war. I mean, the, the, um, the head of the U.S. Mobility Command came out, uh, he's an Air Force general. He said just last week, we will be at war with China in just two years. And I think even Mr. Sunshine and Lollipops kind of said that's a possibility because they become very, very dangerous. But we've been at a war with them. Um, We're just not fighting it. They're the only ones. I want to show you tonight on my Wednesday night special only on Blaze TV, the unconventional ways China has been waging a Cold War on our country. And it is, I mean, I'll show you in their words, out of their playbook, this is how we're going to destroy it. And I will show you, and it is staggering staggering when you're like there's the playbook here it is in action here's the playbook here's that in action and i'll go through it uh tonight tonight's special 9 p.m blaze tv this is so much more than just a balloon the cold war with china the playbook to take down the u.s exposed please join us we it is your Um, a monthly subscription that pays for all of our research and the talent and everything we're building here at blaze TV. So join us blaze tv.com slash Glenn, use the promo code Glenn and save nine o'clock blaze TV, nine 30. You can see it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Glenn Beck. All right. Tunnel to towers is um, one of the good guys. These, these, the 501c3s if you will the, the charities that i talk about on the air they're the best of the best best of the best and i've been watching tunnel to towers you know from new york when they were um just getting started after 911 they there's a group of people that you know lost family members lost friends and they wanted to make sure that we never forgot and we took care of our heroes and there's lots of heroes First family to uh, move in in the Let Us Do Good village in Landa Lakes. That's a series of uh, uh, homes and communities, about 100 homes now set up for Tunnel to Tower Foundation, Gold Star families. First family to move in were the Thorntons, Danielle and her children, Jalen and Kinsey, after Robert, the husband and father of the family, was killed. They were given a mortgage-free home, the Let's Do Good village gold star families and the families of fallen first responders as well as families of catastrophically injured all neighbors growing up together because of you make the let us do good village the first of many communities like it donate eleven dollars a month now to tunnel to towers at t the number two t.org that's t2t.org this is the Glenback program Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. The uh, new AP poll shows that most Democrats not only can't agree on what leader to rally behind. Most Americans don't have a favorable view of the party's current top figures. Uh, the House minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, far left uh, representative Andrea Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders were picked as the best choice for the party leader by 5% of the Democrats polled. However, it gets worse from there. Chuck Schumer, Barack Obama, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, each favored by 3%. Nancy Pelosi was 2%. Uh, wow, that's... Uh, bright future ahead, Clint. <laughs> bright, bright future for the, uh, for the Democrats. However... Majority of Republicans are uncommitted about who should lead the party as well. Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump uh, from poll to poll just keep slipping, you know, slipping by each other and going back and forth. But uh, DeSantis is the uh, the chief challenger to Donald Trump. But they are much more popular than Joe Biden. Holy cow. The Glenn Beck Program.